Hello and welcome to another episode of the Going Solo Podcast. This is your humble host, Matthew Mayer. I really appreciate your listenership. Um, going on about five years now. Um, but I am so excited to bring you this episode. I would say um, you are in for a magical treat um, as you listen to this episode. And I want to start it out with a story. And this story starts in the summers of the early 1960s. There's a young boy surrounded by the majesty of Yosemite Park. As he works alongside other boys on a trail that stretches from Pate Valley around Rogers Lake, this boy is taking in the healing of nature, the connection of something great. And it was on this trail where the path of this young boy's life would be pointed in a direction that would prove to be not only a saving grace, but one bearing fruits beyond imagine. A couple months before, that 12-year-old boy walked into the bathroom, swinging open the shower curtains. His eyes see something that no 12-year-old boy should ever have to see. In the hours that passed, that boy would go to a garden, be among the flowers, putting his gentle hands in the soil, and channel his most recent shock into creativity. Creativity on the canvas of Mother Nature. The boy in the garden, the young man working on the trails, bloomed his own path to becoming one of the most successful record producers of all time. The founder of Wyndham Hill Records, cultivating himself as a true legend in the music industry. His name is Will Ackerman. It is an absolute honor to share with you my conversation with Will. Most excitingly is this conversation is not all about music specifically, as it is getting to know Mr. Ackerman at a human and personal level, an open tuning of a creative conversation as a whole. I hope you do what I have done many times already, and that is let Will's words guide you. And if you are open, they may help produce new thinking perhaps steering your path in a new way. Whether you are taking a walk through nature or enjoying your favorite beverage, please sit back and listen to the fascinating and enlightening human being. That is Mr. Will Ackerman. I'm just finishing my third espresso for the day. Oh, so uh, I got up at 4 a.m. So uh, I need something to get me wired. And, and this seems to be working just fine. When, when do you usually get up? What's a typical morning rise for Mr. Ackerman? Well, I, it, it, it depends on whether I have one of those nights where, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I can't believe it, but I'm, you know, spitting distance from 70 now. Um, and sleep isn't as predictable as it once was. Um, and I've learned just to kind of roll with the punches. If, um, you know, if I get three hours of sleep and then I'm up, then I, you know, that's what I do. And, and, you know, I go back to bed sometimes I can live pretty, pretty well on four hours a night. You can. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know whether it's that I've gotten used to it. Um, I, I find that if I do that for a week, it begins to take its toll. Um, but I'm, I'm sort of 
surprisingly functional at, at, you know, four, four hours is really pretty decent. You know, five is kind of, um, you know, a gift. Um, but I, I, yeah, sleep has always been elusive for me. That's amazing. Is it a busy mind? Is that um, one reason? Yeah, I think, or is it... yeah. And I, I'm, yeah, I tend, I tend to be kind of obsessive. I mean, for whatever, I mean, as you can tell from writing, right. you know, I, I have a reasonably decent sense of humor. I, I see irony. I, I, I can laugh at myself uh, as easily as anything else. <laughs> you know, sleep is kind of elusive, uh, but I, I also get a lot of work done. I mean, the phone isn't ringing. The emails aren't coming in. It seems like some of my best ideas are happening in the middle of the night. I, I, one of the things that I've found is that sitting around and stewing about it is the worst thing I can do. You know, mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got to get back to sleep. Um, it's no, you're up. So go do something and that. think that that tends to get me to more of a neutral place in my brain so that I'm not obsessing about something or worrying about something. But I'm, I, while I don't think most people see evidence of it, I'm, I'm a fairly neurotic human being. Well, I, I really love what you said there, too, about challenging kind of a status quo of time in itself and saying, hold on mm. here, just because we have man-made time in a certain cycle, you can challenge that. And it sounds like you're also also identifying the importance of acting on the creative subconscious when it's like, oh my gosh, it might be two thirty in the morning, but this is a really cool idea. I need to get up and. Oh yeah. Do you find and, that and that's there are? A, is it important for creative people to act when that muse kind of hits you? Well, I don't. I'm not going to take responsibility for what anybody else should do. Sure, I will say sure. that those times where I have something that is really inspirational and I write down three or four words. I, you know, I'm I'm aware in the morning of the idea, but very often the emotion that's connected to the idea has disappeared, and that is a big part of of the thing itself. Actually, right. um, the context of that idea or or the emotions that are around that idea are often lost. So I've I've learned if something really seems inspirational to me that I will I will acknowledge that and make sure that I have the entire picture that it's in color and that it's in three dimensions. Um, so and that you know that may may cut into to sleep. It to me it's worth it. Uh, and and rather than s- sitting there at night and stewing about the fact that you're, you're not sleeping. That's the worst thing, you know, get up, right. do something and w- wait till you feel tired again. Do you ever feel when you get hit with an inspiration that does it give you a certain feeling or what does it feel like for will to be inspired? Mm, boy. Um, or how do you know that you're on the cusp of something great? It's well, it's certainly not intellectual. Um, I, I, you know, the idea itself may be, I, I don't, I, I think that I am, I'm enough of an artist so that the emotional underpinning of anything is easily as important as the idea itself, or perhaps even more so because I find energy in, in, in something that is inspirational. I mean, and, and it's, it's exciting. You know, it's just, oh my God, I, you know, I have to get this down. Um, 
I don't know if that's an answer to your question or not, but I, I, I think the balance between emotion and concepts and, and yes. having both of those, that's, I, 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 ideas, hmm, I, I don't know whether it is that I particularly process ideas with an emotional color yeah. or whether it's the emotion that brings about the idea. I, I'm not really I'm not really sure which it is, but I think that the world I inhabit um, is really more about emotion. I think if it weren't the, if it weren't for the fact that my father was the head of the English department at Stanford, language might not be as important to me as it is. Um, but it is. But but still, in all, it, it, I live in a very emotional world. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think to the point where there are times where my wife would like to strangle me. Sure. <laughs> um, but there are very few ideas that really strike me as as something worthwhile, unless there is an emotional component to it. Mm. I, I I'm not. I don't live in abstraction. Mm. Um, I, I would say that my world is more inhabited by emotion than anything else. And I think, I mean, that's part of why my writing process is what it is. I don't read music. You know, these things are, I, people say, well, you wrote this piece of music. No, I didn't. I found it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I might've discovered it, you know, I'm, but I, I didn't, I didn't write it because I mean, I don't write music. I don't read music. So it's not, it's not an intellectual process. One of the things that I've only recently come to an understanding of, and I'm I'm absolutely certain this is true, you know, open tunings, people have known about open tunings for a while. You know, there's like, there's Dad Gad and there's Open D and, you know, all this other stuff. And I don't know if you know this about me, but essentially every song I've ever written is in a different tuning, i.e. I have used 200 tunings in oh, my wow. career. And I, I documented very few of them. Uh, the ones that I tour with, um, and I have my own system. I mean, uh, uh, Brickleader's beautiful daughter is five, 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 five G sharp. I love that. Song. Um, that is that it's capoed to the fifth and that the intervals, are you a guitarist? I couldn't even well, register at your caliber, but I, I know chords and I've done, you know, well, okay. Well here, but... here, a, a standard, a guitar, a guitar is E A D G B E. Now without a capo on it in my terminology, that would be zero, as in no capo, and then five, because you'd come up five uh, half steps on the B string to yield the E. So you're thinking about tuning. So, you know, okay, you've got this top one that's E, so, but it's five, it's five intervals up between the B and the E, and then it's three for, to, to get to the G, I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Oh, absolutely. It does. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you, if you see your hand moving to get the tuning of the guitar, it's five, four, five, five, five. So it's zero. You've got no capo. So, um, I mean, impending death of the Virgin spirit is seven, one, seven, four, eight, um, uh, two F sharp. Okay. You know, I mean, so <laughs> I, I've got, I've got all these tunings, most of which I have lost. If I didn't incorporate that into a performance, then I, you know, I just let it go, which kind of drives me crazy. I wish I hadn't lost all those. Um, but there's something sort of beautifully ephemeral about that. So when I go to, quote, write, I tend to slack the strings down to nothing and then just start tuning it until, and, you know, it seems like a pun, but until I find 
an open chord that is resonating. I mean, I, I know when I get there, I know mm. like, Oh God, yeah, this is rich. Yes. There's something, there's something in this tuning. Um, and, and then I begin simply to play. Um, and I just, you know, I find the pieces, but it's, it's an inspiration born initially of, of that tuning. It, it does in fact resonate with the mood that I'm in and, and they can change dramatically. So there, there I am, you know, with how many pieces have I written over 20, 20, I don't know how many CDs or albums I've done, Um, which is another thing is most people would know that I have no idea. Um, and, and just part of why touring is so difficult, usually somebody who's also doing, uh, duets with me, Vin Downs, Vin Downs on the East coast, yeah. uh, Todd Boston on the West coast, uh, used to be David Cohen, uh, but you know, they know my tunings. And so I'm, here's, here's my guitar. I'm, you know, on, on stage, I finish a song. Somebody comes from the side and hands me another guitar that's tuned in, you know, whatever song I'm going to do next takes the, that takes the guitar that I just played and is tuning that. So it's kind of cumbersome, but I do believe it's all a way for me to eliminate the frontal lobes. Mm. I, I don't know where the hell I am. I yeah. can't go. I can't go anywhere that isn't directed by my emotion. I, I think that I am purposefully Again, this is lens back and looking at myself, right. you know, sort of like a zoo animal. Um, what what I'm doing is I'm absolutely eliminating the intellect. I don't know where an A minor is. I don't know where a G is. And frankly, I don't even. I mean, I I wouldn't. So all I'm I'm terra incognita. I am trying to be clear in my emotional statement. This is working. This feels the way I feel. This, this is, and forgive the pun, resonating with me. It, it's literally true in Guitar Player Magazine and others. I, 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 I know Dan Fort mentioned it at one point. Nobody has ever worked with so many open tunings, but nobody, I think, has depended as exclusively on emotion than may be the case with me. That is so fascinating. You seem to be able to get rid of an ego in the creative process. When I hear you talk, just in you being vulnerable, which maybe it doesn't seem like vulnerability to you, but no, it does. for other people, just hearing the vulnerability of saying, if you can remove that ego and get to emotion, that's where the magic happens. And to hear that from someone so successful, it's, it's such an encouragement. Point two is how you've taken, even, even from sleep to tunings, what seems at the surface as a limitation. Um, mm-hmm. It reminds me what um, George Winston had said to me when he tunes his own harmonicas. It's like you are the same. Like you're, you're throwing limitations out the window and saying, really? Like, Okay, so this is a G harmonica or whatever it is. 
or this is right. this is the five four five five five. Well, you know, there is no reason why I can't do a seven one seven four eight two F sharp. In, in your mind, it might be simple, but in mine, I'm like, holy cow! That that's that's truly challenging a limitation and saying, okay, now you hear it resonate. Now getting this feeling out. Um, I, I just love all, all of that you're expressing there and, and sharing with you how it translates to, um, to myself. It's, it's beautiful. Well, the funny thing, the funny thing for me is at some point to look at this list of tunings, you know, a partial list at that. Yeah. Um, and, and actually get to the point where it is, it, it, it's somewhat confrontational. It's like, there's nobody else that's, that's being this lunatic, you know, right, right, well, right. and then, you know, to, to finally have to just sit down and go, well, what is this about? Yes. You know, why, why have you, why have you taken this, you know, so far past anyone else? And, and ultimately that revelation happens. Like, you know, you're, you're taking the frontal lobes out. You're, that's not the language you're looking for. And, and, and if you can be true to your heart in that moment, then you've achieved what you want to do. But I'm, you know, I'm looking at myself like a lab rat. Um, you know, it's like, <laughs> why, why does it keep going in that one tunnel? You know, why, what's right. in there? Um, but it's been, it's been an interesting thing because I think I've only recently, and when I say recently, I'm maybe, you know, eight, nine years or something where I finally got it. It's like, Oh yeah, you, you want to be in a purely emotional realm mm-hmm. and, and you want to discover because what you discover is literally resonating with your heart in that moment. So, yeah, I mean, I'm repeating myself, but no. in case I hadn't bored you sufficiently already, I thought I'd just, you know, nail that to the wall. <laughs> now there's a lot of literature out there on Will Ackerman. If you Google his name, you can read a lot of stories about his open tuning and his musical success. But one thing that I had read in his Wikipedia page, and I quote, his life took a turn when he discovered he had a fondness for carpentry. And it also stated on that Wikipedia page that he was a series of credits short of graduating when he left Stanford to work as an apprentice to a Norwegian boat builder. I wanted to ask Will about this and how he had the courage enough to make this decision. You mentioned your father as well. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I know a little bit from, you know, the literature out there on online about your history. And I, I thought it was interesting that knowing that you were, I don't know, I don't know. I can't remember what it said, maybe five credits away from from actually graduating, you had cho- yeah. I mean, I, I've taken liberties. I, I, I've taken liberties with the five because that would have been my father's Chaucer course, which in fact I had ignored. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, I think that the actual number was probably more in the neighborhood of, of you know thirty credits or something sure, like that. But sure. st- still, in all, it, you know, the, the story is basically true. Well, it, it it resonated with me again. Another where I looked at that and again, it, it jumped out as respect off the page as another courageous, like this is a man. No, this no, is a man. No. You don't think it's courageous? No, no. stupid. Really? Um, really? Well, well, no, look here. It would have been stupid. Had I failed. Mm. Um, 
again, I, I am, I'm obviously not stupid. Right. right. Um, <laughs> That's definitely but, not a word I've ever would have, would, would ever associate you with. It's more, on the, it's more been, on the other spectrum. I have been, I have been instinctual, I think for my entire life, I have made mm. radical changes. I mean, here, look, my father's the head of the English department. My, my mother, as you may or may not know, committed suicide, and I was the one who found her. The impending death of the virgin spirit is that boy, the, the night before he found his mother hanging in the shower. Mm. Um, but I have, I have trusted my instincts um, to a degree that, that borders on sheer recklessness. I mean, how do you leave, how do you leave, you know, literally with a few credits shy of graduating from Stanford University? Well, the answer is because your father was the head of the English department and the the woman that my father then married had been head of the English department at Smith and Radcliffe. Mm -hmm. And it was ordained that I would become an English professor. And somehow or other, I had more or less accepted that as, you know, not a terrible option. At some point, just as uh, on the brink, and and again, don't think this is intellectualized. It isn't. It's all this deep emotion. And it's like, Mm. you got to get out of here. You know, it's not, oh, you're just going to end up as an English professor and you want to avoid that. It's it's far more animal. It's just, you got to get out of here. Some you just I ran out of words in the spring of my senior year at Stanford. I mean, and I could write, I could bullshit through any paper yeah. in the world. Yeah. I wouldn't know what the hell I was talking about, but it <laughs> sounded like I really did. And what did I do? Because I liked the smell of lumber. Mm. I decided I wanted to be around wood. And I was wow. dating a girl named Suzanne, what the buzzard told Suzanne. Um, and her father was a heavy machinery contractor. He introduced me in Auburn, California to Osmond Hansen, a third generation Norwegian boat builder turned ship's carpenter for the Norwegian merchant Marine turned, um, general contractor in California, uh, you know, building ships, of course, you know, and, and boats. You know, little square things with, you know, nine and 12 pitch roofs, you know, it was like mm-hmm. child play to child play for Ozzy. And I, I'm going to tell you a story. I don't know that anybody's ever written this, but <clears throat> my first day of work, I went in to, uh, to meet Ozzy. And I, I had a, a beautiful set of tools, none of which had ever been used, but, you know, good Sandvik saws and a set of buck chisels. And, you know, I, I, I knew enough, but I, you know, I, I had no idea to, what to do with them. Um, and so Ozzy took me out to a building site and this is California. So you're not talking about cellars, sure. you know, it's just a scrape and the footings had been cut. There was going to be a, a slab poured on that. And, and he took me out to the site and said, okay, the truck's going to come with the gravel. You tell them you want to spread it across this thing. And I don't want to see a single piece of gravel in any of the footings. And here's, here's your shovel and here's a wheelbarrow and here are the planks and here are the strings that you put across here. And you want to measure. He said, I want it to be exactly six inches. I don't want it to be five and a half. I don't want it to be seven. I want the whole thing to be six inches 
above the gravel to the, you know, the top of the forms. Hmm. And so, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to it. And it's and you've summer never done in Auburn. any carpentry before this. I had stolen lumber from all the houses that were being built. Stanford University had a brilliant damn idea. And part of the reason that Stanford University is the number one university in the nation now is that they were land rich. Uh, Leland Stanford was one of the six railroad magnets, and he had bought land essentially from the San Francisco Bay all the way to to um, Skyline Boulevard. So it was very land rich and somewhere somebody got this idea. It's like we go to Harvard and Yale and we tell these guys, look, you come out to Stanford where it doesn't snow, by the way, and it's beautiful and we will give you land on which to build your house and we will buy the lumber and you'll, you'll be paying for it without any interest. I mean, brilliant, right? That is brilliant. Uh, now Pine Hill, which is where, when we were in elementary school, we'd have kite day, we'd go fly kites on there. And, you know, it was, it was where we, you know, as kids, we caught lizards and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's our, and, and now I'm watching this place being transformed into a, a very nice suburb, but still a suburb. And I don't know whether it was vindictiveness on my part or not, but, um, I did find myself loving the smell of lumber and I didn't know from shit about building, but I started stealing wood hmm. and, you know, got a hammer and started stealing wood and, and built, you know, this tree house, you know, past Junipero Serra up in the, up in the hills. It was, it was like a three story deal. It was, you know, cobbed together like crazy, wow. but it was like, God, I love, I love this wood stuff. I like cutting it. I like nailing it. And so I, I meet Suzanne and, and, you know, I'm there. I am, I've met Ozzy and he, he says, you know, spread the, you know, if you're, this is your job, yeah. you know, of course the, the gravel truck arrives and dumps 72,000 pounds in the North footing and 72,000 pounds on the South footing. And, and, you know, I'm looking at it and I think I might've wept, but my first instinct was to flee. Um, and I said, no, you really want to do this. You really want to do this. So I started shoveling and the wheelbarrow and the, the, you know, the, across the, the planks and everything else. It's summer in Auburn. So it's, you know, you know, it doesn't get dark till nine thirty, nine forty-five, And, and I noticed it's, it's not quite a full moon, but it's going to be a bright moon. So I, I'm going on and then the moon goes down and then I turn on my, my Volkswagen bus, which was named Betten Fairchild Watson for reasons that I have absolutely no <laughs> explanation. Um, and so I'm, I'm now, I'm now still doing this in the dark, but with the Volkswagen bus running so I can keep this going. And, and I, and obviously at this point I'm going, how, how much do you really want this job? And it's, well, apparently you really want this job. And Ozzy arrives in the morning and he's in, in his wonderful Norwegian accent. And he said, William, what have you done? <laughs> and I, at that point, I, I think I may have actually started weeping, but I, you know, it's like, yeah. Ozzy, you told me to spread the like <laughs> He said, he said, yes, William, but you had a week to do it in. Oh you know? my gosh. And so, Oh my gosh. 
he looked at me in the eye and he put his hand out to, to shake my hand. And he said, you have a job with me. And he oh said, you have now worked, you have done a week's work. You are now, you are going to have four days at the lake and you're being paid for those days. He became, he became a mentor to me in many, many ways. Um, a bit of a father figure, but a guy who, and, and we, we had some tension over the years. Um, I, I guess I worked with Ozzy for about three, four, uh, maybe four years. And I would drive him crazy because, you know, he would turn up at, at eight o'clock and there'd be no sign of me. Um, you know, Otis and I would have been drunk out of our minds, sure. you know, the night before or whatever. <laughs> and Ozzy, you know, Ozzy would fire me and then he'd call me up, you know, three or four days later and say, okay, now you're going to be a good boy. Essentially. <laughs> he needed your work again. He needed and I, I'd kind of say, else. well, Ozzy, you know, I'm doing my best. And, and then he'd fire me again, you know, and, <laughs> uh, it got to be almost a joke. And. And finally, he said, I think I have the answer. I said, he said, look, if I tell you that I need this job done on July 27th, will the house be done on July 27th? I said, absolutely. And, you know, without, without any question, he said, okay, I don't care if you're working till 10 PM. I don't care. You know, I, I don't, I don't care at all. And I never, ever missed a deadline. But the fact that, that he was willing to work with me, you know, that, that, you know, the disciplinarian person disappeared and the guy who cared about somebody doing a good job is what mattered. And I, I, I always deeply respected him for that. I mean, I love the guy anyway, but, um, it's a good story. That's an amazing story. So it sounds like he gave you the respect of autonomy within how you wanted to get something done. Is perfectly that... put, uh, but better than I've ever expressed it. Perfectly put. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you just said, but it, it was absolutely right. Did that one day of work that you proved not only to him, but did that help you say that I can achieve so much more than I previously thought I could? Or, I mean, there's so many lessons out of that story you could take from, from having having that second of, nope, I, I, I'm going to bail because I'm seeing these tons of gravel and I can't do this, but you stayed, you did whatever it could to get the job done within a day, even though it was a week long work, like you still, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure to be honest. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not, I'm it, despite the fact that I may sound as if I'm, I'm objective. I think that there are places where I've been forced to be or in, in talking to people like you, you know, I'm, I'm hearing myself and, and reflecting on that. I don't think I, I live my life in a very objective way. Mm. I think my life is extremely subjective as a producer. I am, I am objective. I mean, sure. it's true that part of, part of that is that the first, the first thing for me is, is it communicating emotionally? Because if it isn't, then I don't want to have anything to do with it anyway. Right, right, right. Um, you know, if, if it's an intellectual pursuit exclusively, then I'm, I'm frankly not interested. It meant a tr- a, a, an awful lot to me that somebody I had come to respect was willing to allow me to be me, that, mm. that what, I, what I could offer him was more important than his ego. 
Wow, that's very and, cool. yeah. You know, the disciplinarian could have been there. You know, the finger wagging could have been there. The the you know you're worthless. Mm. You know, an extreme version could have been there. His faith in me uh, was worth more than anything I I can remember. Um, and, you know, as you've heard, I, I didn't exactly have an ideal childhood, sure. but Ozzy was something of a, of a father figure. And yet I couldn't be, nor did I particularly want to be the, the, the usual employee. Mm. Um, I, I don't, I think that was more on a purely in, in, uh, emotional level than intellectual. I, I, I see that in, re, in retrospect, but I don't, I don't believe that I was aware of at the time, but somehow or other, the fact that this guy trusted me and believed in me was just, I, you know, I can't, I, can't, I, I was a lost little boy. I mean, I was, uh, you know, and, and, Ozzy, Ozzy gave me a home in, in many respects. In hearing that beautiful story, I keep going back to that word, home. I keep thinking about how Ozzy was Will's mentor, being a home for Will. And as this interview continues, I'm starting to get a small glimpse of what it meant for Will to call home as a young boy. Did you ever feel like a victim or did you never let like a victimhood mentality sink in? You, you just I, seemed to have this I, inner strength I, that like you took, you took it by the horns and said, no, this, this is my life. I, I'm just, I'm really interested to hear how you overcame that and transformed it into something that has touched lives beyond imagine in, the, in this field. There, there are so many layers to that. I mean, you may need to parse that out. I desperately needed, I, I wouldn't have known it at the time, but I, uh, I desperately needed a father figure to some degree. Um, I mean, I think I really did. And yet I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known that, mm. but his, his appreciation of me. And, and was I actually testing him? In, in terms of, no, I'm not going to, I can't promise you I'm going to be there at, at 8 a.m. Was it a test of Ozzy? I don't know. I think it was more a reflection of this is who you are. You, you're going to have to be accepted because you, you can't be anything else. Mm, that's interesting. You know, you know, one thing that happened that was, that is still a great mystery. And by the way, I don't think I've ever mentioned this in any interview. Um, during the Vietnam war, I, I, again, how old are you? So I'm 41. Okay, you're a kid. <laughs> it's funny. It, uh, it, it but, is funny how relative that age is because it's. Um, I, I know you've you've referenced your age, but just your. Um, I don't know. You have that gift of youth because just the way that spirit that how you talk is it's so um, invigorating and exciting to be around. And um, well, I, listen, I I, I, I I'm utterly enjoying this. I mean, this is a yeah. lovely conversation and, yeah. and you can't do this unless, unless somebody, I mean, you can't play good tennis unless there's somebody good on the other side of the yeah. net. And Thank you. really, this is, this is, this is, this is, I'm having fun. 
All right. So Vietnam War. Yes. Um, you know, my dear friend Otis, we did alternate service. Um, I, I, I just was going blithely through life and hadn't planned on, on anything. I mean, I had friends that had gone to British Columbia. Um, I, I knew two guys uh, who had been to Vietnam and, you know, who didn't come back mm. in one piece. I mean, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got, I, I got called up um, to, for the draft. Wow. And the two, the two in, in large part because of racism, um, the two uh, induction centers in America that took the highest percentage of, of people were Whitehall in New York and, and the Oakland Induction Center wow. uh, in California. And again, I hadn't planned for anything. I hadn't, I hadn't, I don't know. I mean, I t- I'm still kind of mystified by how stupid I was, but you know, God, my life is, is a, a picture of I, a naive belief that I'm going to be okay. Or, mm. but I got to, I got, you know, went through the whole thing and I got to, I think it's station 11, which was the psychological profile thing that they, and people were being ushered in and, and, you know, came out. I was noticing, I mean, it was a, you know, a minute, two minutes, something like that. And I went in for this and I realized at some point that this conversation was going on a lot longer than anything else I'd, I'd seen going on from the other side of the door. And, um, I, I remember not angrily or, um, confrontationally asking this man, this doctor, whether he had a son and he said, yes. And I said, would you, do you want him to be going to Vietnam? He refused to answer the question. Um, and I actually apologized. I, I said, you know, I, I, this isn't a matter of ego. So it, it was a real question. Um, anyway, I, I took my papers and laid it down on the, um, on the long table where, you know, the guys were taking and they said four F uh, and I'm like, you know, I'm in perfect health. And I said, what, you know, what? And I said, psychologically unfit for military discipline. Wow. And, and I think and I'm, I'm about to weep just remembering yeah. that. Amazing. Um, and I tend to think that that may not have been just, ah, this is how I can save this kid. I think that he felt I was going to be more trouble than I was worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I was not confrontational or angry, but my questions were pointed and my responses to his questions about Vietnam and how I felt about it and the rest of it. I mean, there had to be a billion people who were saying, you know, it's an unjust word. Exactly. Uh, That couldn't have been the first time that that type of, you know, dialogue happened. Do do you feel it was the way in which the exchange? It it had, yes, it, it had, it had to have been, I think it was because it did almost to his, I don't know if I'd say chagrin, but I think it may have surprised him that 
there was an actual dialogue taking place with a young guy um, who could be sent to Vietnam. I mean, I, I'll be guessing that for the rest of my life. But, um, yeah, we, we, you know, you and I can both speculate about it. But those are those are the facts of it. And um, somewhere in there is, is the answer and the truth. I don't, I, I really don't know. We may never know what was going through that doctor's mind when he made the decision to not send Will Ackerman to the Vietnam War. Yeah, I'm lost. I'm lost for words on that. It's uh, like you said, um, just hearing that for the first time. And I thank you for sharing that. It, it makes when you talked about your naive belief that it's going to be okay. Um, do you do you feel like there's always been a sense of protection? I, I and a part pardon me for not using the right words, but a sense of um, hey, s- something is is watching over me or with it or within me or like, yeah, no, there, there are, there are too many, there are too many stories in my life that don't make sense. (laughs) Um, you know, but I mean that, I mean, almost to the point of sometimes being, I, I, well, here, here, this is something I've only started saying very recently, but there are times when I actually fear that I am in the matrix, that I'm in the goggles. Mm. Mm. My life, I mean, okay, yes, I've, I've, I've had some hurts, yeah. but, and, and the beautiful thing at this point in my life is I wouldn't change a goddamn thing mm. Mm. without, without, I mean, you know, not, not that I'm, that I'm in any way hardened to it or anything, sure. but without my mother's, suicide without i mean right. there's no impending death of the virgin spirit this is you can't you can't parse these things you, you can't pull this little element out like a surgery we're going to take this out we're going to no this is of a piece mm. and f- for that reason i mean i'm i'm so blessed i wish you could see i'll take some pictures i wish you could see what i'm seeing here yeah. and and that you know, it took me three tries in terms of marriage, you know, and I, frankly, I think probably, you know, the, the, the failings of those were probably mine, not, not theirs. Um, but this is the happiest part of my life. And I think looking at what I guess is still the inevitability of death, um, things, things are richer than they've ever been. The, The branch of this of this maple tree native against this red maple that is just fiery. That is a Japanese maple right now. This is so beautiful. And I would have seen those trees before and I might've had some appreciation for them, but now they bring me to tears. It's just, just wondrous. And I, I, I love this part of life. So, you know, if that takes us too far away, I don't know, but that I just, yeah, there you are. I love it. Why do you think it's now? Well, death looms. Um, 
uh, I think that I've come to know myself very, very well, um, you know, warts and all. Um, I know where my strengths are. I know where my weaknesses are. Um, as I said, it took three tries, but um, I'm, you know, with the most amazing woman on the planet. I, I know I have nine minutes to my cutoff. And um, I, I, you don't have, you don't have, you don't have any cutoff. To hear Will's passions and perspectives is nothing short of inspiring. And now I want to know, does he realize just how big of an impact he has made on the music industry? Do you ever see what Will Ackerman has, has done here on earth? Has it ever hit you about the lives that you've touched? Like really hit you. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I have, and it's something that uh, it, it, there's a bit of a lesson in learning how to accept that gracefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean the the over the years, the letters, the you know the emails, the people who come to see me in concert and talk mm-hmm. about you know the the loss of a loved one, uh, you know a broken heart. Um, and how my music has been um, the the people you know who have told me of you know the pain that they went through and and you know that my music was you know a salve and a bomb a bomb to them you know, that they you know that they they found peace in that you know that I, I mean I can't I can't imagine a greater honor. Uh, than that. And I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know that I ever dismissed it, but once again, getting older, things, things are, are richer. And, 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 and I think not in any self aggrandizing way, but I now it's like, no, you, you really, you've had a function in people's lives. Mm. Um, and God, how, how wonderful that is. And, and again, the people who come up to me after a concert, or, you know, right. And, you know, my, you know, my wife just died and I listened to your music for a month mm-hmm. and it got me through. Amazing. Yeah. It brings tears. It's just, you know, how could, how could anyone be that lucky that they got to do that for, for people, you know? You know, and I get the people that say, you know, I like to listen to your music when I wash the dishes every night, you know, and that's yeah, fine. Right. You know, there's no insult in that. You right. know, no. <laughs> great. You hey, know, I, they've I, got to listen to some music when they're doing the dishes. It might as well be yours. You, you know? you, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether, you know, Ray LaMontagne and Hoser would, <laughs> would be particularly glad to hear that that's what I listen to as I'm washing dishes sure. every night. But, sure. you know. <laughs> You know, that's another thing. You know, so many people my age, you know, think that music ended in 1968, you know? Mm. I mean, God, there's so much great music going on. Uh, do you know this song by Louis Capaldi? Um, oh, what's the name of that one? Uh, I mean, there's, there, I, think, I think that the music that's on certain radio stations right now is better than anything I've ever heard in my life. There are so many brilliant singer songwriters. And again, I've got so many people that are contemporaries of mine who just, you know, thought it ended in 1968 or whatever. God, I, 
but Louis Capaldi, I mean, the, you know, but you know, Matt Carney, certainly. And, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Hoser and stuff. I mean, God, there's so much good stuff. I love it. I've got, I've got a set of headphones that I'm, I wear when I'm out and about. I mean, one thing about me is, you know, I I do, I love physical work. I, I absolutely adore work. I I think that that has been something that saved my life any number of times on the day my mother committed suicide. I went up to Connie and, and, and her Merritt's house and I weeded, I worked in the garden. Um, I, I was, you know, I mean, I was given a few options. I said, no, I just want a garden. I just, you know, I want to, and then here, when you see this sculpture, I mean, this 282 acres and it's a sculpture and I'm looking, I'm looking at a, a place where just this year, I, I built another stone wall and there are these two beautiful crab apple trees that bloom in the spring. And I mean, you should see this place sometime. I mean, I'm looking across the West river Valley, um, to black mountain and I'll take some pictures and you'll see where I am. Work, physical work. I just adore. And this is a never ending supply of physical work and my my wife is a, a, a farmer i mean we you know we're raising chickens and ducks and geese and and normally chick of a chick ducks geese uh you know turkeys some years anyway and you know very elaborate garden and you know so much of our food is is from our farm wow. and 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 this is one of the places where I mean, in California, I think barter is kind of a cute little thing. It's not, it's here. It is a huge part of the economy. We barter uh, pork, beef, um, really, and you know, the CSAs. Um, I would say that I would say that safely 65% of all we eat is from similar small farms that, and it cements a community in an amazing way. Oh, I bet the relationships um, that have to come out of that are have to be remarkable. Absolutely. Um, this is this is an amazing place, Wyndham County. This is Wyndham County, Vermont. The politics of it. I mean, we're the state of Bernie Sanders. Sure. sure. Um, I mean, <laughs> the one and only socialist senator in history of the United <laughs> States. And he's, you know, he's a friend. I mean, he comes to dinner sure. and he's funny as hell. Sure. Um, but I'm going to take some pictures and show you this. Do you ever get out this way? I, it's just a matter of time where I would be honored just to, just to stop by and at minimum visit. Um, you would be welcome at any well, point. I so promise much. you. You know, the thing is, I've gotten really, really good, uh, even if it's just written, I've gotten really, really good at knowing that something is going to happen that I, I, that I will enjoy. And I, I don't know, I guess, you know, there, there are a lot of people that are soliciting me for one thing oh, or another. I'm, oh, I'm sure. I can only imagine. Um, but the communication with you from the very beginning was just wonderfully real. Um, and it even came off the page. And I think that's part of why I felt I could open up 
you know, so, so much in this. Um, you're damn good at this and your heart is in the right place and you're, you're incredibly intelligent as well. Um, but you, you have a real gift with this. You're the one that's going to make me cry here now. So my, my eyes are well, welling up and that, um, excuse me. Um, no, 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 it's good. It's fine. I can't tell you for sure why I was overcome with emotion at that point of the interview. But in looking back, it was apparent. I was talking with one of the greatest producers in the music industry. Now a good producer can create something. But a great producer, a truly gifted producer, can extrapolate something from inside yourself that you didn't even know was there to be able to talk to will ackerman i think what people like you do that help me is say these are these are damn good leaders in their fields and i get the gift of getting to know you as a person um Mm -hmm. it helps Mm -hmm. me in in my pursuits and I, i i just don't take it lightly and when you said hey i'm available i I, I know you've got a hundred people knocking on your door and I know that you've got a hundred people writing you emails. And, um, so, I, I, so I I've thank gotten you for I've, a gift for me. I, 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 I've gotten very, very good at, you know, reading feelings, even sure. in emails. Um, you know, I've gotten really, really good at that. And, and I don't have time to spend, right. um, going over hashing, you know, rehashing the same story a million exactly. times. Um, exactly. that, that, that you, that you, and listen, don't, don't brush this off that you can elicit something from me that has emotional content as well as, you know, intellectual that, that you involve me in such a way as to have me dig in a bit. Um, I've got to, I've got to trust you. I've got to trust you and I've got to trust your intellect, but really you're, this is, this is truly a joy for me um, because you've, you know, you've connected, allowed me to connect to feelings that are, are certainly always there, but remind me of, of times and experiences and, and, you know, it's, it's been beautiful. I mean, I've I loved it. I, 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 I want to tell you one story yes, for sure. For sure. And then this just, just, this just jumped at me. Somebody's writing a book and I forget the guy's name. He's writing a book about Yosemite and, um, and somehow he's, he's interested in trail building and the history of trails. And, um, and he'd heard a story about, um, after my mom died, my dad didn't know what the fuck to do with me. I mean, really, he just, he didn't have a clue. This was not a very emotional person, my dad. Sure. Um, well, if you don't mind me asking, how old were you at that time? 12. Okay. Wow. Um, and there was a guy in the English department at Stanford with my dad. Um, I, I don't know if he was a full professor at that time or not. Willard Wyman. Um, and he had this thing that he did in the summers where he was subcontracted by the national forest service to do trail building and trail maintenance in Yosemite and in the Stanislaus national forest. 
And after my mom's suicide, I was one lost little boy. Mm. Um, I worked with Wyman and some other kids, not all of them troubled, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure what the criteria was for, you know, who was on these things, but, um, to have spent the summer after my mom's suicide building trails in Yosemite, um, absolutely saved my life. And this hit me very strongly only a couple of months ago. And now there's a, and the guy was asking me, he said, were, were, did you guys, were you involved in the last trail? And that's, that's a name that was used only within the forest service, but apparently that had come up and, and there was some, some sense that I had something to do with that. Well, the, the W a, the, the A was Ackerman. It was Wyman, Ackerman, Sisson, Sisson. So it was a little cutoff trail that went past Rogers Lake that connected Pate Valley to, um, to Tuolumne Meadows. And only a couple of weeks ago, I had a photograph of Rogers Lake and, and, uh, this is what saved my life. Oh, there. Okay. I just found not only the map, but the picture of, of Rogers Lake. Um, that saved my ass um, to be to be in that greatness and in, in that beauty. Um, I, I think I'd always loved you know the outdoors and the rest of it, but um, that that short little interview put me back in touch with that salvation and and literally I'm talking salvation. This I think this is what centered my life around something great and beautiful. Um, and which is why I need, <laughs> why I need to live here as, as opposed to, you know, Marin or Palo Alto. I mean, it, it, you know, that now Marin, that, that, that what they say that Marin is now the most expensive County to live in, in the United sure. States and Palo Alto, of course, being Palo Alto, it's, you know, <laughs> uh, Thank God I still own the building that was the office for Wyndham Hill. I mean, that's that's going to pay the bills for the rest of my life. Anyway, I, I digress in a big way, but oh, I, I'm going to oh. take some pictures and I'll, I'll show you this. But, you know, for us to, you know, to get into nature and, and, and surfing, I mean, to, to these day to this day, being out in the waves is is also salvation. Um to be in a lineup. Have you, have you surfed at all? You know what? I have a funny story. So it was my first time in Hawaii this last. Um, Where were you? Summer. Where were you? I was in um, Maui. My my younger oh, okay. brother was getting married, and uh, you know I've never surfed in my life, but you know I'm I'm some I'm pretty athletic. So my brothers, I've got an older brother and a younger brother, and we we went we. We went out to the ocean on these bodyboards, and, and we, I got just a little too cocky on this bodyboard. Oh, yeah. Were you were you trying to ride a shore? Bear? I was trying to ride a little too close to the shore, and I got yeah, right. I got oh, slammed in a force I have never respected before. And yeah, I, I yeah. stood up and I go, I'm done with this one. I, I, and they were just, and <laughs> well, they were just laughing so hard. I go, 
Yeah, I, I'm... yeah. With the ways you're writing are out like three or four lines, you know, past the shore. That's for sure. Um, but boy, it's it's. I, I, we I had a place on the North Shore of Kauai um, for years, oh, right wow. on Hanalei Bay, and you know, surfing tunnels and cannons and and oh, wow. pyramids and Kaliiwai and Kealia and you know the pier and I mean just you know it was like a Disneyland of oh, of surf. And one of the amazing things about it was that they were all so incredibly different. It's also also true of of Punta Mita in in Mexico. There's some amazing stuff going on there. But, I mean, literally, you've got these – it's like Disneyland rides. They're all completely different. To to the untrained eye, it looks like waves. But, you know, to the surfer, it's like – but, you know, if you give that a shot again and you you get outside of the shore break – you could you could just have a wonderful time. Boogie boarding can be absolutely great. I mean, if you watch some of the stuff, check out Mike Stewart sometime. Just do you know bodyboard, you know, boogie board, Mike Stewart. I mean, this guy this guy has a bottom turn that is so powerful that he could drop at the pipeline and <laughs> blow out the back of the wave. I mean, get air on the backside of the wave going right through the bastard. So yeah, check out. Check out Mike Stewart. I could have I mean, used him. Yeah, I could have used him about six months ago before I. Uh, yeah right. I yeah, okay, um, but as 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 your therapist, uh, yeah. uh, avoid <laughs> avoid the shore break. Avoid the shore break at all costs. You know, you know? some of us, you know, more dense, less intelligent people like myself have to learn the hard way, and then uh, literally, oh, uh, literally get knocked the over way. in the head, and then I'm like, okay, I think I understand what what they mean by this now, but. I, you know, something came up in my mind when you were talking, um, and I, I really wanted to ask you this because, you, you know, this this amazing life that you've had, Will, um, from from things that you've had to overcome. Like, what what would your advice be to specifically people that have had um, that that have had really traumatic events? Uh, things that you've gone through and seen and, and just overall in this society that battles an anxiety and a depression and all these things, what is your advice to people overall coming from someone that, you know, not, not only has succeeded, that's one thing, but of someone that has truly come out the other side of a deep gratitude and appreciation for life, even though these other things have happened. God, I'm, I'm, there must be, you know, any number of paths to that. Um, I would say that for me, part of the reason that I mentioned um, Yosemite and the rest of it is, is the greatness and the power and, and the, the beauty of, of nature. I think that that, I think that has been, and, and, you know, waves being only one part of that. Um, I, the fact that I, I spent the day, gardening of my mother's suicide i've always known that nature has has been peace for me um i'm you know i I, i'm sure there are a thousand different paths to to peace but i for me it's always been in nature um you know obviously friendships and the rest of it i think I think being physical is important. I think that's why I work so hard here. 
Mm. Um, you know, people, there are people who, for whom work is drudgery. And for me, it's, it's a meditation. Um, I mean, people are always commenting. So you work so hard, and you know, if you see, you got two hundred eighty-two acres. I mean, I, I I can knock down. I mean, I do I do all of the tree felling. I'm really really good with a chainsaw. Um, I do all the felling. I do the bucking. I do the splitting. You know, I I and lumber. I mean, most of this house or these. I think there's seventeen structures here because I'm I'm in a twelve-step program for building addiction. Um, but I mean, pretty much every stick of this thing is, I mean, I, I, you haven't seen the pictures here, but pretty much every stick with the exception of something like clabbered, which is, you know, clabbered, you know, you got, but this, this, all the studs and the rest of it, all the beams, this is all cut here. So, so you have um, literally built pretty much everything out there on your, on your land. Like you've. Yeah. And every amazing, stick of the, the studio amazing. and. Being able to match up emotion with the intellect, with the physical, is just, it's such an attractive thing to know how much strength comes out of the vulnerability and to know how much strength comes out of the emotion and the sharing and the relationships. And also it, it, it goes to show in a different realm how powerful the creative spirit is. I just so appreciate all your all your sharing on this and, and, and the vulnerability has been has been just truly magical. Well, I think, you know, also the lesson for me has been that, that there are some things that simply cannot and will not be fixed. Mm. It's, it's not a matter of fixing. It's, it's, that's, that's there forever. Um, it's what you do now. Mm. You know, what are you going to fill your life with? You know, what, what creativity, what love, uh, what, you know, pride and work. And, 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 and for me, my refuge is physical work. I mean, and, and, and it was, it was the day of my mother's suicide. And it's so great to have, I mean, I've, I've probably, you know, including saplings, I've probably killed 30,000 trees in my day. Wow. Um, you know, I've either, I've mowed them with the brush hog or I've, but this is a sculpture, you know, this whole forest thing here is, is bullshit because in 1880, 80% of Vermont was pasture land because it was all about dairy. And a hundred years later, it was the exact inverse, but the, the forest that came back were these riotous, conglomerations of trees that were opportunistic but didn't reflect what the proper habitat for many of those trees were i mean a, a, a yellow birch should be on the north face that's what it does naturally and in, there are only three little stands of, of of virgin forest left but i've gone to study all three of them to to understand what it could look like so this is the farmy winch I have on the back of this trout, the tractor is, is a logging winch. I mean, you know, I'm felling and logging and sometimes selling, you know, milling 
wood. I've got a I've got a building down below where it is filled with clear cherry and ash and oak and maple and so on. And then you know I've got my the only place in the like how many places are there where there's a wood shop immediately adjacent to a, a recording studio? Um, I mean I'm I'm going off on you here, but this physical work picture. It's a beautiful picture. Physical physical work has been so much a part of my salvation, and this is like never ending. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 thinning, and knowing that where the beech trees are supposed to be, and which trees actually work very well together, beech and oak being a, a pairing that works incredibly well, and and you know the the wildlife, the bears. I mean. You know, we we've got bears walking around here, and you know, of course, deer and and all the rest of it. And Susan's a knows everything about the birds, and she, you know, we're always doing that. The notion that I'm sitting around, I don't, I I, I won't touch a guitar for six or seven months. Mm. Uh, I don't, I don't need to do that or I wait until I do need to do it. I mean, if they're going to pay me to do it, sometimes I go, but I don't see myself as a, uh, as a guitarist. I think of myself as a producer. I think I'm really good at that. I play the guitar and sometimes I've come up with some really nice songs, but I don't define myself with that at all. I would say that I'm, I feel more kinship with the tractor than I do really with a guitar. That. I read somewhere too, and artists say that one of the many gifts that you have is also being able to bring things out of other people. I, can, I mean, I can definitely sense on just this and our talk. We haven't even talked specifically about, you know, Bricklayer's Daughter or any, any type of music. It is this source of creativity for me that just doesn't seem to, to stop. I get the sense of, you know, Will Ackman, the musician, is just, yes, it's, it's this beautiful part but there's so many layers to just continue to uncover and like you said about producing and and bringing people together and just when you're talking about the bartering and the relate and you brought up relationships on that and then obviously this respect for nature it's just it's so overwhelming it's so all-encompassing and it's so much more than it's so much more than a 2004 grammy you know it it, it is it's, just, it's <laughs> absolutely just it's it's just gorgeous. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. No, thank yeah. you. You, you, you totally get it. Yeah. Uh, God, you're great. Well, you are so much fun to talk. To. I, I, no. um, I'm sorry. I, again, here I go. I t- t- took you over 30 minutes, but I, um, I, I appreciate that. I, I just, that means more than, you know, Will, and I hope you don't mind. I've been calling you Will, but I, oh, for God's sake. I think, uh, like I said, um, You've been a gift to me today in a, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. You know, one one I didn't mention this, but um, <clears throat> one of the things I've been working on is is it is, is another project that um, you know besides you know doing all these projects, I I also have a quote unquote you know real job to help pay my bills and my three kids and and um, it's it's it can be challenging, but but at the same time. Um, that this is the type of thing that uh, this is where I see the meaning of life. This is where I see the realness of life, and um, I, it's it's a true gift to um, 
to know that you took your time today to share these things. And um, I, uh, I don't take it lightly at all. Um, I, I very much, um, I'm very much humbled more, more than anything in our conversation. And I well, truly thank you. I, I thank you. I, I thank you for it too, because I mean, you, you reconnected me. Um, you know, we're only here, we're only here a little while yeah. and, and to, to feel deeply. Some people are afraid of that. I, I'm, yeah. I, I'm not. Um, and even embracing, you know, the sadness because the, again, you can't, you can't separate these things, you know, it's it is it is of a piece and without without the hurt there wouldn't be those songs when when someone like you can elicit maybe not an absolutely brand new idea but that i feel the life of it again that it feels dynamic in me and and for a moment i can connect to the complexity within within which that, that lives, that this is part of a life and it's one element. Uh, but you've done that. You've done that for me today. And, and I'm, I'm truly grateful for it. Um, you're, you're wonderfully intelligent, but you're also guided by emotion. And you're, you know, you're, whatever you're doing, you're doing it right. And with that, our conversation comes to a close. And I reflect on our time together. Will gives a respect to all of the human capabilities that has been gifted to him. He has given the same amount of trust to all of his senses that he has given to his mind. The smell of wood leading to the love of carpentry. The feel of a garden soil for a boy to heal. The ache of physical activity for meditation. Taking out the frontal lobe in search for something greater. It's as if he's never left that trail in Yosemite. His path was always there amongst something great in the ultimate loving care of Mother Nature. Some call Will a musician. Some call him a carpenter. And others say he's one of the greatest producers of all time. And me? Well, he's all of those things. But most certainly one of the most courageous creative people I have ever had the opportunity to speak with. An example of the strength that can only be achieved in walking your own path and allowing your true self to grow. Will is a gift to us all. Thank you, Mr. Ackerman. And thank you for listening to the Going Solo podcast. Please follow me on Twitter at Mayor Solo Piano on Facebook at Mayor Solo Piano, on Instagram at Mayor Solo Piano. Please share this episode, follow on YouTube, and speaking of following, most importantly, follow yourself on your own path.